Hey, Matt, what's going on? Good to see you again. Good to uh, see how's you, your brother. Been? Oh, yeah, you know, I'm excited because my sister and her kids are flying in from Connecticut and picking up at the airport later today. And uh, we're going to do some exploring, go check out Lake Tahoe. You know, her kids have not been here since they were wee wee little ones. Uh, so I'm sure uh, they don't really remember much. And yeah, we're going to have a good time this weekend. It's hot August nights here, so we're also going to be uh, out checking out all the different, um, you know, old school uh, cars, and that's always a ton of fun. And the first time my sister and kids will be able to do that too. So lots to look forward to. Um, oh yeah, and my anniversary on Saturday. For oh, uh, congratulations! Yes, yes, yes. Uh, twelve twelve years we're going on. I know. I know uh, we've got many more to come, but uh, yeah, we we've knocked out our first twelve, and it's uh, it's been a, a really wonderful ride. So that's that's what's going on with me. What about you, brother? Well, you're an incredibly high integrity human being, Matt. So I won't make a joke about anybody who can stick it out with you for twelve years has got to be pretty special. But good. You're both pretty special people. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you just did, but that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> no, I I did absolutely. You two are made for each other, and it's fantastic to uh, see you guys together. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I concur, um, and I do realize I'm a lot to handle. Uh, my wife calls me on my crap, and uh, that's what I've always really liked about her because before that, I kind of just did what I wanted when I wanted, right? So she calls me on things, and at the same time, you know, tough but fair, and I think we've got a good symbiotic relationship there. But yeah, no, very lucky, and yeah, just just living the, the good life and many more to come. So uh, thank you. Oh, no, you're so welcome, man. Welcome to the Run Form Podcast. I'm Bobby McGee, running mechanics expert. And I'm Matt Pandola, your run-specific strength coach. Matt and I have been working together for almost a decade on some of the top athletes in the world, and we've decided to share that process with you guys. <clears throat> so pretty exciting this week. We are going to be talking about vertical oscillation, which has been around as a concept in running mechanics for a very long time. Uh, but it's it's not necessarily well understood because, again, you know, uh, its application is kind of, uh, I wouldn't say its application is misunderstood, it's, its application is not understood, right? And so what can you learn from, from vertical oscillation? So basically, to just explain to people before we start a conversation with that and how it applies to our world of drills and mobility and stuff like that, is that vertical oscillation is the amount of change you make per stride in your height above the ground. And it's normally measured from your head. So how much did your head go up and down? So in the old days, I remember us always as coaches standing trackside on the main side of the grandstand and then picking um, a, a point on the bleachers because the bleachers have a lot of lines that are running parallel to the track surface and watching the runners. And we were always commenting that the very, very effective runners were vertically oscillating very little. They were really, really smooth. Uh, and it really is a good indication of what's going on in your stride. But now we know it's really interesting to look at intra-run changes at the same velocity uh, that give us a clue as to how can we 
help the athlete become more efficient. And by, the, by that I mean is um, vertical oscillation is associated with velocity, right? So the faster an individual runs, the more they will vertically oscillate, right? So if somebody says like, I'm running 10 minute pace and I'm, you know, vertically oscillating X if I'm using my stride device or some way of measuring my vertical oscillation. And then when I pick up the pace, it gets higher. Does that mean I've got inefficient? No, it doesn't mean that you've got inefficient. But intra-run, on the same kind of surface, at the same velocity, if that vertical oscillation starts to get higher, it's a clue for us. It's what fatigue is doing to you. And mostly what the fatigue is doing to you in that case with vertical oscillation, it's shortening your stride length. And when your stride length shortens, your launch angle becomes steeper. And so you start going higher in an effort to maintain your pace, right? Because we are all in this distance running game uh, because of pace, right? Everything comes down to pace. It doesn't really matter what your stride length is or what your stride rate is, as long as you're hitting the pace for the duration that you're looking for. And that's the game that uh, biomechanically, we always play, and that's where vertical oscillation becomes so, so important. So, you know, to throw the ball over into your court, Matt, what are you noticing with split stance type things that indicates people's proficiency to be able to sustain a certain stride length, in other words, able to sustain their vertical oscillation over a given period of time? Yeah, um, just... Toes to the nose, right? <laughs> as simple as that. And if and if if vertical oscillation is too much there, just chop your head off and you're good. Now, I it's a it's a it's a really complex issue that I know uh, I tended to struggle with with you talking about. Hey, Bobby, how can we start to look at this from the very beginning in our assessment process, right? So. The key thing I think I want people to understand is that your posture is your brakes, right? And when we say, hold your posture, let it flow out of you, that is now allowing you to minimize that vertical oscillation. So when we get you into balance drills, that's the first indication to me in a split stance, right? So don't skip the balance work, but... I was thinking about this a lot for this podcast and saying that I used to tell clients, whenever you're brushing your teeth, just brush your teeth with a single leg. And hopefully you brush your teeth for two minutes. So balance on one leg, brush your teeth for a minute, and then switch legs, right? And the other minute. And uh, if you're doing that twice a day, you're constantly getting in good balance work, right? Now I tend to say, hey, Get into that split stance, but as wide as you need to be where you can keep your forward hip a little bit more up and through. Now I'm going to take it one more where we're going to make brushing our teeth even more effective, right? So if we are leading with our right shoulder, our left hip should be forward and you should be able to maintain a good stance. So again, start a little bit wider. Now you're going to lead with that right shoulder as you brush your teeth. Okay. All <laughs> right. And then after the minute, switch and switch arms. So now you've got to get a little bit better at brushing your teeth with your non dominant side, which is a good thing as well. 
And then what I look at from there is starting to narrow our stance. And then once we're really good about getting our overall posture, again, we're going to remind people that we're talking about being compact in a good compact position where our arrowhead, our sternum is slightly down, that we are now able to connect through, in this case, our peripherals being our lead shoulder and our opposite hip. And then, of course, that improves the cadence. So as we get better at that, then we finally switch to a single leg balance. And the reason why I've come to understand that we don't just go into single leg balance is because I would see that people would be spilling their spine, their hip would be bailing out laterally or to the side oftentimes. And then you could kind of see that floating leg kind of cocked in order to get that balance or steer that balance a little bit more like a rudder. And so now they're out of position and they're actually uh, myelinizing or, or memorizing a bad position, right? So those are the steps um, that I like to start with. And what's cool about that is that you can start that on day one, even, even without me or yourself, you know, looking at your form. It's a pretty simple process to, to manage. Oh, fantastic, Matt. Uh, just, uh, just a warning to parents of younger runners, introducing the, the toothbrush concept to them might lead to them not brushing their teeth. So <laughs> it's too complicated, right? So I think, uh, you know, one of the things that Matt refers to is that if, if you are balanced and your foot's on the ground and your pelvis is balanced, right, then uh, you have a certain dynamic height relative to the ground. But as soon as you are, you know, internally rotating or you stepping, you crossing that center line that you're running on, that imaginary center line, then that's making you shorter, right? So one of the first things that I learned, I learned this from two biomechanists uh, from the Australian Institute of Sport, is this concept that elite runners flex their knee on the, on the ground less than than what say an average or an amateur runner so they are putting their foot down on the ground so they are beating gravity to the ground with their foot so they're not dropping their pelvis with as much mid stance they are dropping their pelvis mid stance but not as much right so they're not pivoting their their pelvis as much and they're not dropping their pelvis as much so when you drive down you you're sustaining a certain level of height so a good number that I like to look at uh, when people are running is is that there's not m- more than 15 degrees of flexion from the time they first contact the ground until they are into mid stance, right? So that that degree of flexion is required. It's a, a shock absorption. It's a loading process, all right? Uh, and you don't often get people that understride, right? Ironically, we are working with an individual who started off with us as an understrider, right? But pushing that foot down, so I like to distinguish between two parts of vertical oscillation. How much are you vertically oscillating while you are on the ground, all right? And then your overall vertical oscillation, which includes that takeoff where you obviously have to overcome gravity, so you need a significant vertical component to overcome gravity. But but that whole reasoning that we use for... Um, anything that we use to get the feet down, right, to stiffen the leg downwards, a part of that is to reduce vertical oscillation 
when we are on the ground. So we want to get the foot down on the ground, obviously closest to our center of mass as possible, all right? Loaded as much as possible, but we also want to have that knee as straight as possible. It's definitely not um, extended, right? It, it's flexed. It's serving as a loading spring. But we don't want it massively flexing. And very often when people lose that hip angle because they are not powerful enough to drive that foot down quickly enough, all right, the knee has to make up for that. But the thing that we have to look at with the knee is it can be flexing outwards functionally as well. And we don't want that. We want it just to be flexing in, in a vertical plane, right? In that vertical plane and then trying to hold it stiff. We don't want it flexing from the time we hit the ground too much by the time we get into mid-stance. Once we're in mid-stance, now the knee starts extending, right? Our center of mass is passed over our pivot point and we now are pushing against the ground but now that pushing is starting to provide propulsion and then unloading. But if we don't push against the ground and the knee stays flexed, then all the elastic loading in the plantar fascia and in the Achilles tendon, back of the knee and the hip and so on, that is all basically lost. And we now have to revert to muscular contraction to power us off the ground, right? And that's, that's not an ideal situation to, to get into. So vertical oscillation is, is more a, uh, an illustration of, of what you're not doing correctly, right? It's more that than I'm like, I'm doing these drills to work on my vertical oscillation. You know, with vertical oscillation, you're trying to minimize, but you're realizing that you need a uh, vertical oscillation as an expression of how you're moving. So if you're looking at a runner and you're watching their head in, in, in a forward plane, right? So what you're seeing is it going up and down, but also how much is it moving? You know, that that's also the key, right? So that's why they call it oscillation. So it's like, like a graph, you know, how much is it going up and down and how can you optimize that for, for that individual? Yeah, and with the drills that we have, the, the fourth um, week with into our series that we do with run form we have established now much better overall balance and we've worked on a lot of that musculature okay and so again getting those postural muscles first and foremost and then in week five we start with uh your blade drill there right and it is actually the very first movement that's assigned in run form which is in the fifth week and it just starts with this beautiful component about realizing that runner that we were talking about, uh, or you were mentioning earlier, that with his right side, he was always scooping or blading in a little bit past his midline on that right side. And as he gets more and more fatigued, that arm gets a little bit more of that, um, we'll say that disassociation right? Which is not leading to the cadence that he wants. So I went on a 10 mile run with him yesterday and we uh, started off with just loading his springs a little bit. So some pogos and some switches. And then as we're running, I noticed that that posture starts to get a little bit more wonky as the miles are going on. So what I suggested to him is we're going to start with those blade hands 
and he is in his um, fifth week, so makes sense, right? And we are we are starting with the blade hands, but just more in that balance. And all I want him to do is comb his hair, you know, through that top position, right? So if you see what I'm doing there, if you're watching the video, he's looking at that function there and and really just memorizing that function. I said micro set that one in throughout your day for the next several days. That's what he's primarily working on. And again, that that position you start with your uh, feet in a split stance, but they are wider to begin with so that you are working more on that adaption, especially through how your shoulder is leading and his right shoulder leading in that movement, right? And that is what I'm really wanting to get uh, down now. But knowing him and the process that he's gone through, he's been uh, very very religious, if you will, about doing his work and his protocol. And so I think this will adapt very quickly now that he has the posture for that. Because the last thing I kind of want to mention here, and then I love your feedback on this, Bobby, but just, you know, a lot of times when we are talking about fatigue, where we run into a problem is where we start to have that failure is because our, you know, our engine a lot of times is exceeding what our posture can do right and so absolutely yeah and and so take take that concept guys and realize that where again with bobby he had assigned ryan uh nine ones yesterday nine minutes of running one minute of walking and that is why also with that fractionalized approach we can reset the posture and now ryan can work on some blade hands a little bit more when he has even his one minute of walking as well, right? So those are all things that we can build on. Yeah, it's it's so ironic that little article in the Wall Street Journal that they consulted me with me on 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 how effective is Tom Cruise as a runner, you know? And that's one of the things that he does really well. He's got those beautiful bladed hands and they are beautifully on plane as well, you know? So just indicating how how critically important that is, and so here we are in a conversation about uh, about vertical oscillation, and and exactly my point is is that vertical oscillation is impacted by everything, right? So the planes that your hands are in, all those things are becoming uh, become so important, right? So just looking at what's happening, that's why it's so useful to have video of yourself every now and again doing exactly the same workout for the same duration at the same speed on the treadmill and looking at what's happening intra-run to your vertical oscillation, to your arm action, right? So everybody has this awareness in the beginning that this is how I want my arms to go, right? And uh, just as an aside there with arms, when people start working on their arms, they tend to emphasize the forward swing because that's what they can see. And the forward swing is actually the reset. All right, and they should be emphasizing the backward swing. I like to use the term down and away. That's what you're trying to do with your arms, down and away, as opposed to setting them up in the front here, right? So that's just the just the, the, the preset or the reaction to the powerful elbow swing backward. But that plays a huge role. So I think what you were saying really alludes to a principle that we use all the time, right? What are people doing in the beginning of a workout? What are they doing in the beginning of a race? And what are they doing mid-race and what are they doing late-race? And what can we learn from that 
all right? Uh, how can we give them cues to increase their awareness? Because if they're able to do that in the beginning of the race, not thinking about it, automatically in, in, in the right place, and then they stop doing it and they get off plane and they start to vertically oscillate more at the same velocity, well, then we know it's a conditioning thing, but it's also a focus thing, right? So we've known from a sports psychology perspective that cueing in endurance events must become more frequent, right? If you only need to cue every five or 10 minutes at the beginning of your long race, right? Um, you might need to be queuing as much as every 30 seconds or every 100 steps or something like that by the time you get to the end of the race because fatigue plays games with your mind, right? Uh, and I, I love that analogy. If you want to go and run eight-minute pace, know that eight-minute pace in the first third of the race is going to be feel really slow. Middle of the race, eight-minute pace is going to feel challenging but manageable and end of the race eight minute pace is going to feel like seven or six minute pace right to just maintain eight minutes so it just that indication that your level of focus must go up and so in these very long races a good piece of advice is don't have a lot of noise going on trust your training trust your skills learning trust your conditioning all right because you mess with your automatic programming if you think about your form in the early mid stages of a race, if you are moving beautifully, you will use less oxygen if you're not thinking about it. You're using those mood words and those feeling words. Uh, and then when things start to fall apart, it helps your focus to pull up your cues and say, where am I looking? Where's my head position? Um, I feel like I'm stomping the ground. Am I vertically oscillating, et cetera, et cetera. And just uh, as another little addition there, some people oscillate insufficiently which means they're bending their knees too much and they're kind of scuttling along and they're putting a lot of pressure on their quads right you need to extend those quads for them to reset and to go again you really don't want a very long-term high flexed knee in that and that low kind of shuffle that you have as well right i mean even the great shufflers in the world people that can run you know, under two and a half hours for the for for the marathon with this really really high cadence, they still in range. They're not adding load because of that. But you know, you get people that are understriding, flexing their knees too much and getting tremendously fatigued. Yeah, and a couple of things that as you're talking, I'd be interested. We haven't actually previously discussed this, but I have two athletes right now. One, Ryan, that we've already mentioned, and he has, with his arm swing, it's actually almost too compact to me. Whereas when we mentioned before, you know, Tom Cruise, and congratulations on the article, you're kind of a big deal, buddy. <laughs> Maybe Tom will call you up. And, and you know, that's yeah. an action movie, and you got to save the day, and, you know, you're sprinting all out, and so you see that 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 big range there, right? But of course, we are talking about endurance and we have a, a more compact position in that range, right? But of course, we want to be able to train the full range. That's why in the drills, we set it with that full range and then we forget it. And we can go on to that fractionalized approach that we've been discussing here. Now, uh, the other end of it, though, with another athlete I'm working with, and uh, I'll certainly be talking about this a lot more in the future, uh, special surprise guests will be coming on and you all know her but she 
has been working a lot on more of her front end mechanics. Okay. She was a former 1500 meter runner and really those back end mechanics were getting her into a little bit of trouble now that she's doing a full distance Ironman. Okay. And when you come uh, into that, you're looking at with the, the arm position that we're almost now needing to reduce that arm swing a little bit more. And again, that's so neurally rich through your shoulder girdle and close to your brain that I just find, yes, we did have a particular issue we were working on down the chain, okay? And after we've been working, now it's been uh, about coming up on four weeks, so coming up on a month this, this Friday, but there is zero issues, zero pain with that area now. And so, uh, don't get me wrong. She worked on it every day, AM and PM. Uh, we, we really got after it, but I would say the last 10 days has been, you know, magical running. (laughs) And, uh, and yesterday was the big breakthrough day. And you can see the difference when I looked at her running form on the track, as opposed to what it was like just a month ago. So, you know, those are some things that I think it's important to talk about in the, in the sense where some of us, I think most of us, we need to look a little bit closer at how we are uh, pushing, okay, versus being a puller, right? And so hopefully that gives you some concepts, some ideas about what we're really going for here, but how important that that arm swing really is for your cadence uh, when it comes to distance, we really do see that we are going to be able to hold that pace and make it feel more like that eight minute pace towards the end, the the more we've been able to increase those capacities. Oh, no, brilliant, brilliant, Matt. I, I think a good example there is to, to show how, you know, what you've done previously, um, a lot of these shorter distance athletes don't have a concept, especially if they have a big anaerobic reserve and they come from that that high octane kind of background, right? So when they go to distance running, they they tend to have these long uh, energy uh, absorbing, you know, energy requiring strides, right? They they don't have that that gate that we always talk about, right? That border collie gate that you have that's not natural to to everybody, right? You have, you know, the African runners, they've spent so much time running as a, uh, as a means to an end, right? They're trying to get to school or they're trying to get to work or they, you know, running is their mode of transport. So they've developed this way to not get sweaty, to not get sore, all right? And they haven't come from a background of, say, you know, football or basketball or something where sprinting is their stock in trade, right? And they have that, that gate, right? Uh, Everybody can walk, uh, everybody can can canter, but not everybody can trot, right? Trot, trot, you know, you need to teach a horse to trot and, st- and stuff like that. So I think what becomes important there is to look at your background, your understanding of what effective distance running is, all right? And then very importantly, when it comes to things like vertical oscillation, look at your anthropometry, right? So we are privileged to have worked with two individuals that have very different anthropometry, right? The one is Gwen, he has very long legs, a shorter torso, all right? 
um, and has a lower cadence, all right, and an extremely long stride length. But all of that is still within range, right? So if you watch Gwen's arm action, it's very closed elbow angle at the back, right? Very high elbow. Whereas Ben got more of that uh, swimmer's body, almost triathlon body, right? He can afford to carry his arms a little lower down because his cadence is higher. So if you look at Gwen mid-stands, her heel is really close to her butt when she's going at speed, right? Whereas with Ben is, is sort of more like 45 degrees uh, from his butt to, to that minimum requirement of shin parallel, right? So you really don't want to model your run on somebody else's run, right? Your run is unique to you. But unique to you pre any kind of injuries, pre any kind of sedentary activity, right? And so that's always what we're trying to return to, okay? And then there's also just a speed capacity that you can handle. And I think that's a very important thing to, to work, about, work on, right? And so, so much of training today is about designing this perfect engine, filling up all these physiological containers to their maximum capacity, all right? We, we need to have that same kind of mindset. Working with a junior coach now down in Texas, and we're talking about what do we do with these athletes now that, you know, this, this coming weekend is, is nationals for the juniors, right? The national U.S. championships. What do we do with them from now till the end of the next season, right? The swim coaches are not going to be seeing them. The running coaches are not going to be seeing them. They're not going to be anywhere but in that that triathlon kind of mode. And how do you work with skills, right? And that's so important too that you now start, what is your personality type, right? Or have you been around for so long that you don't want to mess with your gait? It's brought you to a certain point, right? And that's why I think it was so important you were speaking about utilizing activities that in the athlete's mind, accidentally lead to what you're looking for, but in our mind are done with intent uh, very, very early on in the process, right? So uh, that's where that last part that I want to say is is where buy-in comes in. Like, this is a silly thing for me to do. It's hard for me to do. I feel clumsy. I feel awkward. This is kind of getting to my ego a little bit because it's embarrassing that I can't do it. It's like triple springs, right? It's such a simple movement from a physiological demand place, but from a skills development place, it's a really difficult movement to do, right? And once athletes do it, they love it so much because it's such a natural movement, but they'd never done it. And so they struggle in the beginning. And a lot of people quit on triple springs because they just feel like they can't master it. They try too much with that part of their brain instead of just relaxing into it, right? Yeah. Uh, and if you look at both of us, right, when we're doing triple springs, which is a huge part of vertical oscillation, right, of, of coordinating knee flexion, hip flexion, ankle flexion, arch flexion, right, um, is that we are so often putting stuff in the way, right? If somebody can't do triple springs, the first thing I do is I put a strap around their knee, make them flex their knee, and then just pull the strap away. Second thing I do is I'll throw a harness around their, their waistline. Anything for them to move their attention to a flowing movement as opposed to trying to do a movement. Yeah, and I want to take this opportunity to talk a little bit about banded dynamics in our programming because people do uh, get into the programming thinking that they're going to, in that pillar, 
look at lifting, you know, weights, right? And we we chose banded dynamics for a couple reasons. But I want to be very clear. First, yes, it's convenient. You can take your bands anywhere. And especially when you have the setup that we have with our gym in a bag, we have an anchor so you don't ruin the bands. And uh, Ben, if you noticed, he put out an Instagram where he had not one of our bands, but he had a band that he was breaking. And he literally was just pulling the band apart and breaking it. And that band is a much cheaper band that he had. And he uh, just had it sit in his, uh, in his garage for a while and it just dried out on him. Right. So, uh, that does matter though, even if it didn't break the way that that band reacts to your movement is really important. So our bands are layered and we will have the band guy coming on and talking about that, uh, in, in this podcast series. So you can learn a little bit more about why that matters. But the point is in that 12 week process, everything we're doing with those bands is to be able to give you the tools you need to serve better posture so you can hold that posture longer. And I do believe that is a three-month process. Now, from there, you can simply create more tension, get a thicker band or double up bands, or you can simply add load to your movements there and repeat the whole process again, right? So our run form uh, program is yours forever. And some people, uh, certainly for the convenience sake and Sometimes just within their goals, I wanted to bring up do or how strong do we need to be? And that's a conception that matters for vertical oscillation. So in other words, we can get to the point where we don't need to get stronger for endurance, okay? But the postural muscles that we're focused on in this program, they, they need that attention and people blame it on sitting and lifestyle. And it's a combination of a lot of things, guys. But make no mistake about it, as good as our running is for us, we have to stack our joints and we have to hold that posture. And that needs continuous quality attention, robust movements like the ones we have in run form will allow you to keep doing what you're doing really well. And especially the longer you're going, I think the more relevant these movements are for you. So on the flip side, I just want to cover this briefly is uh, sometimes I'll get a comment from somebody, uh, where are the weights or when am I going to get to the weights, right? Well, we do have uh, our programs that we're, we're putting out. We have a base program that we are putting out, but I do want people to go through run form first, even if you think that you are strong enough. So I'm going to give a quick example, and then I'll throw this back to you, Bobby, uh, because I always love to hear your side of this. But with a particular athlete that was quite strong for her size relatively, the first thing that she wanted to make sure is that we're going to still lift heavy, Okay. I said, okay, well, I can't answer that yet. I need to take you through this, this process, look at the evaluation and go from there. So what we found, for example, though, on her single leg squat, which was done in a Bulgarian position, we found that in a Bulgarian, her back leg would be up on the bench and then her front leg is forward. Well, first of all, she wasn't measured out 
uh, properly for that Bulgarian in the first place. Okay. So we got her measured out. I taught her how to get into a proper Bulgarian. And then we had her using, uh, some weight and going up and down and getting to the point where she actually realized, yeah, like 30% probably of that weight was actually in the back leg. Okay. So we, we understood that we have to get 90, 95% of that weight in the front leg. Okay. And uh, we just had this discussion yesterday again with my mystery guest. We'll we'll talk about this uh, in detail when she comes on. But we got to the point where where now, just in a few short weeks, we're actually lifting um, heavier. We're lifting heavier, more importantly, on that single leg. Okay, her grip has gone up. Her grip strength. Uh, she has now the ability, though, in other words, to stack the joints properly. And to get that system from toes to nose working together in that compound movement, now we are establishing really strong position to reduce oscillation. Okay, so now that strength benefit really can come in. Okay, but this was a very experienced athlete, okay, who was able to, like I already mentioned, go twice a day because it's her job really. And on on these drills that we worked on to connect the dots, if you will. So now the loading can work so much more effectively, okay? But I still think that that comes down to, uh, that's not the boulders. The boulders are the pillars that we have in run form. Those are the boulders we move. And now when we're trying to get to that next 3% or so, now we can really start to think about, can we can we now start to push this weight a little bit more, especially with uh, an Ironman triathlete? I do believe they need to have a little bit more of that uh, absolute strength for the distance to hold the posture over three disciplines longer. So getting stronger to go longer matters even more when you're talking about, uh, you know, eight to nine hours. Yep, yep. No, I, I agree there, Matt. And I don't want to even within the uh, confines of this particular podcast go down that road of the whole concept of heavy. I think there's a lot that you can contribute, a lot that I can contribute. I have a runner at the moment. And it, it really comes down to that there's there's also, even with the, with the very elite athletes, there's an association with a certain type of work that they've associated with success and they really afraid to let it go. And there's Helgo Shoma did some great work on how addictive, you know, lifting is, how addictive running is, how addictive cycling is, how addictive swimming is, right? So part of the the changeover and the education and then the physical transition is that they they don't get to shed a fat suit, right? So there's a period of time for them that they they literally have to go out on a limb and trust us, you know, that this will lead to what you are looking for, which is an impo- a performance improvement, right? But it, in, in many cases, that requires backtracking a little bit to what the fundamentals, get back to the fundamentals, the movement fundamentals, so that you can now build a structure that can handle that heavier weight. But I would go so far as to say that with the vast majority of people that we work with, 
they might never need to get back to that. They will find that they get so much benefit from this other stuff. They ne- need never get back to that. Yeah, and so just in the, uh, just I'm gonna just say on that point, and then I'll uh, let you wrap up this podcast, Bobby. Is that mobility and motor control is the hierarchy that we I think really want to establish in people to understand, and so that's rooted in our free mobility that we give on our website, but then. I tell people after about 10 days, we really should be switching over to run form or continuing with some of that, but incorporating run form now for the fact that we're going to route now really start to solidify the the mobility that you're getting and really get that motor control mastered, right? And so those are the big boulders I was referring to before. And with that athlete with the single leg Bulgarian, my whole point that was now that we are more on that single leg, Less weight is more because it's truly on a single leg instead of it being, say, 70-30. And so now that we're at 90-95, the point is it's not how much we're lifting, it's how we're lifting it. So three to five reps done that way with the established mobility and motor control is what yields the results that you're looking for. But what that heavy looks like is completely different uh, than I think most people have a conception of. And yeah, I do believe that most people, they can keep repeating the banded dynamics and continue to yield big benefits from that several times going through the process and just getting better and better with that. Absolutely. You know, um, and I'll, I'll close with this too. A lot of people, many, most people actually, end up finding out that with the new mobility, with the skill set, with the neuromuscular adaptation, they've had the strength and power all along. They just couldn't access it. And that's exactly what, you, what you're referring to. So folks, when it comes to vertical oscillation, it is a tool for you to look at understanding your own vert, uh, vertical oscillation across the pace spectrums, right? So that you those zones now make sense in terms of your paces as well as your intensities, right? And then the very important one for me is intra-run. What's happening intra-run? Where can you add conditioning so that your optimal vertical oscillation becomes sustainable for the duration of the event? Matt, thanks so much. It was always cool uh, talking to you again about this subject. I was actually quite interested to see what you'd come up with. And you were just like, as usual, always on the money. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. It's it's awesome. Thanks, guys, for listening. Refer your friends. We're, uh, we're growing, and we want to be able to help as many people as possible. Until uh, next time. As always, thanks for listening to the Run Form podcast. And as a reminder, we offer a totally free movement improvement assessment on our Pendola Project website. Here, you can get your own personalized protocol that will help your running today. So give that a try. Also, Bobby and I are experts on any question app where you can ask us, well, any question. So reach out to us directly there. Finally, if you learned anything new today, don't forget to share it with your compadres and leave us a quick review. That really helps us a lot. All the links you need are in the show notes below. Till next time, have a great run. Well, that was that was awesome. Yeah.